First question is this. I know, I know that the brain can be shaped due to the unusually high chemical release in the brain and that images and videos can get locked into the brain. Can the brain be fully reshaped and will those images ever fully go away? Oh, oh, me, me. Yeah, <laughs> the answer is yes. Uh, brain can heal. Uh, neuroplasticity is something that people have been studying for a while, but it's just now becoming popular enough to get into most people's uh, hands some of the literature about it. But um, the neuroplasticity process of uh, brain repair um, starts with about a 90-day abstinence. Uh, so it has to be no sex or self or others uh, for 90 days. Then we get the first part of that where the neural pathways are clearing and developing normally. Uh, once the neural pathways are held at that level for another nine months, then you get actual brain structure um, uh, change and, and it just, it heals. Yay. And I would say the same is true for post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a process that you go through. Uh, to heal your own neuroplasticity by learning who you really are, by doing the somatic experiencing, so any of the traumatic memories that have been stored, because your issues can be in your tissues. I mean, you do all the cognitive work, but there's still memory stored in your body itself. And as you cleanse all of that, the brain does the repair work. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is hope, but it starts with stopping the behavior that was creating the problem in the first place. There's a kind of a follow-up question similar uh, to the first question asked here. Should spouses refrain from having sex for a time in order for this um, reboot to take place? Want to take that? I would say yes. And here's the problem that the spouses often face. Sometimes they feel like they need to be even more sexual. If they're more sexual, then maybe he won't act out because they have me, and that's not true. And you're further wounding your own self. You're also further wounding your spouse, even though you don't intend to do that, because the problem is not sex. The problem is an intimacy disorder, intimacy with yourself, intimacy with God, intimacy with others. That has to be addressed. And so refraining from sex and instead engaging in true intimacy, which is learning how to be authentic with what you're really feeling instead of covering up. Sometimes, unfortunately, in the church, we tend to try to handle everything in a spiritual way, in a godly way, uh, and we're, we don't even touch our own feelings because we're afraid to do that, that God might be mad at us if we said we're really angry, um, that we want revenge, whatever it is. But that's that's where we are. So like learning how to be truly authentic with our own feelings, touch our own feelings so that we can touch the feelings of someone else. That's the way we heal, not through sex. It takes a lot of work to even begin to restore a healthy sexual relationship, but both parties will be triggered if you try to resume it too soon. Amen, exactly. We, we have a pairing that has happened in both partners. So, so a pairing with uh, object sex. Uh, so physical pleasure, object sex, um, absence of intimacy, and then in the partner we also have trauma. So that's a, that's a four-way pairing of very intense responses in the brain. So um, it, part of the therapy that we do, um, uh, if, I, if we have couples that come, um, 
we do suggest abstinence um, for, for a, uh, obviously for the, the addict to get into remission. And um, then with the, with the partner, it's to uh, give time, as she was saying, to, for the building of some healing in the brain, EMDR and somatic and so forth and so on. But when it comes time to reinitiate sex, we don't just reinitiate sex. That's a whole process that takes uh, weeks, if not months, of training um, in sexuality and sexual experiences and exercises and things like that to learn how to have actual sex that is connected. And it's very important for both parties. Good. All right. At what point does a leader, pastor, missionary, speaker, or anyone uh, in an influential position need to consider stepping down um, because of uh, a, a porn addiction or porn use? Immediately. Uh, there's, uh, at its root, it, it, there's, there's an ego issue at the very least that is saying, I'm not getting fulfilled and I'm going to seek this fulfillment in this other way. And so, first and foremost, uh, the leader cannot be truly authentic, humble, full of integrity, et cetera, because ego is in control rather than God in control of the leader. Um, but then on top of that, how are they acting out in that misshapen ego? Uh, in this case, if it's a sexual issue, porn, et cetera, um, well, now you're literally breaking the command of God as far as wholeness and intimacy goes. So, um, so to have someone proclaiming to be a impersonation or uh, a leader in God's image and speaking for God in, in the case of a pastor. I mean, that is part of the prophetic role that we, we hold. Um, then you are getting up there, not just as a fallen person, but in this case, a false prophet. Uh, so there's, there's no room for that. Uh, if there's even a whiff of it from rumor in the congregation to, because rarely is the the leader going to say, well, guess what I'm struggling with? I'm stepping down rarely. They're going to have to be caught and coaxed out of their position, if not forcibly removed from their position for a time to begin this process of healing, which can take months and years. Um, otherwise, you've got someone up there just continuing to not only harm themselves, but the people they come into contact with because with the ego and especially porn, there's a whole question of objectification, the justice issue, uh, and they're not really even able to uh, in a healthful way, relate to the people under them in leadership or the congregation. So it's got to be immediate. And I would say that we were only able to heal the way we were because we were completely honest. I mean, as soon as I found out anything, I laid it right out there. Everything was out there in the open, and we were honest from the beginning. And the pastor was honest with the church. The people in the church knew what happened. We didn't hold anything back. People could ask us. I would tell them, like, there were no secrets. And I think that's really important. If you want to truly heal, I think you have to be careful not to keep those secrets and keep those, you know, hidden compartments. I can be. Okay. Um, so I think the other thing that I would say is oftentimes we are, uh, we are afraid to confess sins before they become disqualifying. Um, and so I think sometimes ministry leaders, we buy into this false idea that like everyone gets sanctified this way. Ministry leaders and pastors get sanctified this way. <laughs> not confession, not community, not authentics, uh, which isn't true, right? We all get sanctified in the same way. So we don't confess small sins and they become big sins because we're like, oh, I can't confess that. I might get fired. And so I think 
uh, and even stepping down doesn't mean that you're fired, uh, right? You need to be in a position and a place. I mean, it may mean that because you may have not confessed for a long time where that actually is justified. Um, but it, may, it, it shouldn't immediately mean that. It should mean entering a restoration process, which does involve removal from ministry, public ministry for a time because of actually healing in those ways. And so we need to, we need to actually sh- change the culture of ministry leadership towards one of open, honest confession early so that these things don't happen. Because what's going to happen if that doesn't, it just festers and then, you know, a, a big, messy situation happens. You're still going to lose ministry, but it just happens later, and it's a far messier, and it's harder to get back into. How do I know if I am addicted to porn or if I'm just struggling with it occasionally? If you're asking the question, you might be addicted. Mm. Um <laughs> Is it affecting your lifestyle? Is it something that you are getting uncontrollable urges and it's now affecting social relationships, the ability to think or act independently of porn? Uh, Is there a constant video reel going through your head of the porn that you've watched? Uh, Is it to the level of a craving like um, someone who's dehydrated needing water uh, on a sexual level? Uh, These are all questions that kind of get at it. It's not a clinical answer. I'm going to pass it off. But... If you're asking the question, you might be. I was just at the Society for the Advancement of Sexual Health National Conference uh, about four weeks ago, and the topic this year was porn and sexual addiction. And as you may know, the uh, sexual addiction is not in the DSM, and there's a lot of questions around. Well, some people advocate, yes, there is such a thing as sexual addiction, and other people say, no, there's not such a thing as sexual addiction. There's sexual compulsivity. There's, um, you know, various... Uh, a range of sexual behaviors where it might be out of control, but there's no such thing as sexual addiction. And the way I look at this, I don't care what you call it. It kills people. It kills relationships. So if you're engaging in behavior where you're feeling shame, it's a problem. If you're engaging in behavior where it's causing you not to be able to completely connect with your partner, it's a problem. If you're engaging in behavior where you're spending money on things that are not for your benefit but are exploitive of other people, it's a problem. So wherever you are in that range, it's a problem. Semantics is one way we escape accountability. And that goes to the DARVO thing where I said D stands for deny or deflect. So if I can say, well, yeah, I've got it, but it's not that big an issue, then I'm not going to deal with it. You've got it. It is an issue. Amen. (laughs) All right. What's the difference between movie sex and porn? Nothing. Yeah, yeah, I I, I can uh, jump in on that too. I I do think we have, uh, because of uh, we're living in a pornified culture, uh, that line has uh, has completely gone away, right? I, I mean, I think, um, like, we can just, we'll just name it, right? Like, Game of Thrones is porn with an epic plot. Yeah. Like, let's just be honest about it. And so I think uh, things like that we justify as entertainment, um, but the reality is, like, this is that. Uh, and so I think there, because of, particularly because of the research behind the way in which we respond to visual images and those things, I just think we ought to be, uh, we ought to err on the 
side of extreme caution that says that's not an area that I will ever touch. And so, and, and for me personally, from a, um, from former addiction to those things, if there is any uh, sex scene whatsoever or nudity, I'll avoid it with like, like crazy. Like there's, I know where it will go for me and it's not worth it. I don't care how good it is. It's not worth it. Um, and so I just think we ought to be very, very careful. And I think also we miss also the justice component of what it does to actors who act in those ways. It is a really, like there's some uh, really damaging things, not just on the pornographic side, but also in the, the movie industry side too, of what we are doing in allowing uh, people to to self objectify themselves and the damage that that does, and as Christians uh, who care most about people made in the image of God, we ought to not say entertainment is more valuable than people made in the image of God. That's a really powerful point. And I was a freshman in college when the movie The Midnight Cowboy came out. I grew up going to the drive-in with my folks watching John Wayne. Westerns, right? So the girls on my hall said, hey, let's go see Midnight Cowboy. I am thinking I'm going to go see a Western. I never even noticed that it was Triple X. And it was. At that time, it was Triple X, Dustin Hoffman, right? Who's just been called on the carpet because of sexual harassment problems? Dustin Hoffman's coming up. But that movie, best I can remember it, there was no nudity in that movie. There was one scene where he's in bed with a woman, and in case you don't know, and it took me years to figure out Midnight Cowboy was uh, a man who could be hired. He was a gigolo, basically, Mm. for a a woman to hire him for sex. He's in bed with her, and he says, that's the first time that thing hasn't worked on me. And I'm sitting there going, like, what thing is he talking about? I didn't get it. It took me a lot of years to realize that that movie was really about male prostitution. We have defined deviancy down. That was a triple X movie. Today that would probably be like a GP movie. Mm. People are not shocked anymore by things that are implicated in that. And when we allow ourselves to watch other people have sex, what are we really saying? We are looking at this beautiful image of God and we're objectifying it, we're not seeing it as beautiful and holy, and we're paying money for somebody else who paid money. And as you see, this whole Hollywood thing is unraveling right now. Harvey Weinstein, so many people in the movie industry who all along have been exploiting people. And we paid money, and we continued to fund that. Is it okay for me to date if I'm watching porn on a regular basis? Uh, my default is no. Um, yeah, I think uh, we, this came up last night too, and I, I think the answer is no. Uh, you're probably not going to uh, have healthy recovery uh, in the midst of that, and you're also putting uh, a partner at risk, and there's too many risks involved, and uh, your holiness before the Lord ultimately is more important and your own recovery than a dating relationship. And so the reality of, of even asking that question means that you're wrestling with this is more important than me being pure before the Lord because it will not help. Uh, it will only seek to be a, a supplement for that. And also, um, as a father of uh, two boys and a girl, so this affects both ways, 
I don't want my children dating uh, someone who is uh, um, looking at porn. Uh, and, and, and at that point, you're not in a position to care for another in individual. Uh, you have to actually deal with that first. Uh, and after you deal with that, you will be far more healthy, far more satisfied, far more joyful uh, in the midst of that. Now, are there exceptions to that? Sure. But exceptions are called exceptions for a reason. Most likely, you're not the exception. I would agree with all of that. I, I would also add to that. Um, so, if someone, so by way of, should I date someone who is in a porn, or who says they used porn in high school, or you know, whatever, um, answer, no. Um, first of all, you won't know them well enough to know if they're actually in recovery when you first start to date someone. Uh, and as you've heard that, uh, through this conference, it may take more than a few months to figure out what they're really like. So, so no, don't, don't start it. Um, but in change that is lasting in the brain, um, it takes someone, okay, before you believe someone <laughs> that says, hey, I stopped doing that, um, you have to watch them live for six months to a year. This clinician says a year of sustained change is the minimum um, uh, of amount of time that goes by. So, so this works on both sides of the table, uh, of the people that are looking for people to date, and then also the people who are deciding how long then should I break up for if I think this may be the one. A year. And if you can't sustain that recovery for one full year, then you have your answer that you're just not ready to marry. That's my opinion. I believe in polygraphs. Um, you know, we're, as Christians, we're usually very quick to forgive. We're very kind-hearted. We try to see our own, you know, our own mess-ups and, and have compassion for other people who've messed up. This is one area that you really need to have very strong boundaries in. So I've worked with hundreds of women, and so many of them forgive initially and try to repair the relationship, and then they find out one year, two years, three years, four years, five years down the road, there's been a relapse. Now there's children. Now they have a second STD. The, it's devastating. This takes a lot of work to recover. People who are involved with pornography, part of the problem is they don't have healthy relationship skills in the first place. So you have to repair the brain, but you also have to learn healthy relationship skills. Everyone deserves love. Everyone deserves a second chance. And the discipline part of all of that is saying, yes, I will show and prove that I am actually healing. Not just say that I haven't done this, but I'm willing to do a polygraph so that you can see that yes, I'm, and yes, some people pass polys and they're lying, but it's rare. And knowing that you're going to have to do a polygraph is one way to hold yourself accountable. Because you're saying, you know, if I do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flunk and I want to pass because I want life and I deserve life. And in a similar vein, if you're in a relationship and the person ever suggests that you introduce porn to the relationship to help spice things up, big red flag, that's a hard pass every time. Uh, if not an outright, sorry, you are not right for me at this point in my life or clearly yours. So um, it, it's just too dangerous. Why, why allow the wolves in? Okay. What do you think of claims from 
some in the counseling community that masturbation is a normal and perhaps healthy part of the development process. I disagree. Um, so, is that enough of an answer? Um, <laughs> Elaborate, please. Because it is pairing the wrong things. So for us in the Christian community, it's a given that that is not true. It's just a fantasy. Um, uh, because it is pairing um, object sex, basically, with the pleasure response in the pleasure center of the brain. So it's not connected. It's not connected. Um, and whoever is in, or whatever is in your mind that you're masturbating to has not given permission. So it's pairing an unhealthy sort of um, predator mindset mm -hmm. with one of the most powerful pleasure reactions that God has gifted us with. Mm -hmm. It prepares you for anti-relationship. It is not healthy at all. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my CSAC colleagues would disagree with me on that, and that's fine. But I just think that I know better because <laughs> it's, you know, scripturally, yeah. you know, there's nothing in there that says, hey, you know, you, you yourself are, you know, the object here, and, and it's else all about you. That's, there's nothing in scripture that I know of that says that. Mm -hmm. and, and the other thing is that the pleasure response of copulation is meant and designed by God to be interactive for um, a sealing, S-E-A-L, of a covenant mm -hmm. and a representation of, let's just bring the body on into that beautiful thing. And so it is, masturbation is the antithesis, literally, of what that pleasure response is wired for. The other piece here is sometimes we confuse sexuality with sensuality. We are made to be sensual beings. And you can uh, build sensuality into your life without engaging in masturbation. What do I mean by that? Uh, things that feel nice, like I have a wonderful blanket that's like a faux fur blanket. <laughs> I love that, man. I wrap myself up in that. I feel loved. I feel soft. I feel comforted. Um, aftershave that smells good. For women, you know, our uh, shower gel that smells good. Going out and looking at the beauty of creation and allowing yourself, and this is the difference, when you have an addiction, you're dissociated from the real pleasures of this world. If you just stand there and look at some of these beautiful trees and let yourself take that in, the beauty of the fall colors, the beauty of the texture on the bark, the blue sky in the background, the coolness of the of the breeze on your cheek. That is all sensual, real, healthy, sensual experience. The smell of a good cup of coffee, the, the beautiful kisses from a dog. This is experiencing life as it is meant to be experienced. And if we will build those things in our lives, then the need to feel like we have to masturbate in order to have pleasure is greatly minimized because we are building in happy, positive pleasures. 
One thing to add, I think it, when we think about sexual sin, uh, I think it's important to ask two questions. Uh, if, is, uh, would my spouse see this as something that would be uh, building unity? And if I'm not married, would my future spouse be like, yeah, that's totally okay? Um, if not, then it's probably sin. It's a good guess that it's sin. And then also, uh, Jesus is sinless. So is that okay for Jesus? Like, that's a real easy question, and I think all of our gut natural response is like, no. So there's our answer. Okay. Uh, This will be the last question. As big as the porn industry has become, is it possible for the industry to ever be stopped or brought down, and do you think it could happen even within the next century? Yes. I have been praying for many years that God would spoil the Egyptians in this. Um, I'm waiting for the class action lawsuit that's filed by spouses and by victims of the pornography industry uh, to completely drain the bank account of all these people. I see, we're we're seeing it happen today, by the way. You just turn on the news and see these big people who are being taken down and more is to come. This problem goes all the way very high in government. More is to come. You know why I know? Because God promised that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I will send the spirit of Elijah who will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to the fathers. What was it Elijah battled? The prophets of Baal. What did the prophets of Baal promote? Sexual idolatry. Temple prostitution was worship. Okay, so what God is saying, he is pouring his spirit out on the earth to address this issue. We're part of it. There's a huge movement, especially with young people. When I was at the SASH conference, uh, do you know the website NoFap? Okay, this is young men who said, you know what, I can't get it up with my wife. I've got to do something about this. And they realized masturbation was the problem. And so they founded this no fa- and they won the SASH award. And it was so awesome to see this young guy get up there who's, you know, he's tackling this not on the basis of this is sin, this is wrong. He's tackling this on the basis of this is a public health issue. And I really think that's how we have to start talking about it. Because if we say this is sin, what are we doing? Well, first of all, the people out there that don't come to church are like, oh, yeah, those moral hypocrites. They can't hear that. But if we start to say this is a public health crisis, they can start to hear that. They can hear it from the scientific perspective, which, thank God, so much research is being done about that right now. I truly believe that we are on the the edge of moving forward in bringing this industry down. And I'm so thrilled to be here with all of you. And Pastor, thank you so much for hosting this because this is what's going to take to turn the culture. And it's going to be from both ends. It's going to be, you know, the people banding together and getting the class action stuff up at the top. And it's going to be us on the bottom of the food chain, the bottom feeders literally, uh, stopping the viewing and the funding of the industry uh, on our end. Uh, If we would cut off their supply of money, there would be no money to be made. But so long as there is demand, they're going to keep supplying it and profiting off of us and the other innocent people involved in the production of it. So it's it's both levels. There's this very high-minded society level, uh, class action level. We've got to pursue that. But we ourselves just need to take a stand as individuals and communities to say, 
we're simply not going to tolerate this here because it's not for our health. Great. Panelists, thank you so much for your articulate, well-informed, and careful responses. Thank you.